Welcome to Bedside Matters, the podcast that addresses the medical issues that impact every single one of us every single day. And hopefully we're going to give you the answers you're looking for so you can be more informed and healthier and happier. And I'm Peter Tilden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper. Hi, David. Hi, Peter. Hi, Anna. Hi. Anna Vocino. How are you, Anna? Good this week? I'm doing great. And I love that you say if we're healthier, we're going to be happier. I think you're assuming a lot about our emotional disposition. So thank you for... Well, all right. I'm going there. I'm going there right straight out of the gate. So Anna is healthy on her healthiest day, still not happy. And (laughs) that is episode 16 coming up with what drug will work. But tonight we're going to discuss a treatment for sleep apnea that actually looks like it may help. We are going to talk about what you need to know about calcium supplements. I know David said this comes up a lot in his practice. And I want to ask about calcium and other things because of osteoporosis. In this just happened segment, Dr. Kipper is going to inform us about a brand new artificial pancreas, uh, I guess not like the old artificial pancreas. I didn't even know that there's such a thing as an artificial pancreas. And in the Hey, What About Me segment, if you or anyone you know or love is dealing with hair loss, you all cling to every little announcement. Could this be the thing? This may be, may be the thing. I think this has a possibility. So all of that's happening. It's almost too much show. How about that? So Dr. Kipper, first question, as a matter of fact, sleep apnea. I, that's my biggest fear is that I have to sleep with that device. People hate that device. So what are some options and what's the new news as far as treatment for sleep apnea? Peter, you're not alone. There are a lot of people that just can't tolerate that machine. And when you're not getting enough oxygen to your brain, the brain has a very tricky way of waking you up. And so people can have up to 30 wake-ups in an hour. So imagine how much energy you have the next day. I was say, technically, aren't you then just awake? If you're waking up that much, you'd never sleep. <laughs> Pretty much. There's a drug that they sort of recalculated that seems to have a very positive effect on sleep apnea. So it's a pill. And it's called riboxetine, which is a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. We've heard of the SSRIs, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Right. So it's in that family. And actually, this drug has been used primarily as an antidepressant. And what it does in its physiology is that it relaxes the muscles around the neck, and so it opens the airway a little bit. There's another drug called oxybutanin, and oxybutanin is a drug that we use for spastic bladder, overactive bladder. If you combine those two drugs, you have an even better effect. So this is good news for all these people that really can't tolerate it. So if something for something else affects that, doesn't this then affect something else? Like when I'm taking this, are there side effects you, you need to worry about? Or did, have they tested on, on enough people? Good that, question. You know what? That All of a sudden, I got a bladder problem. It went, aha, you're not using it And correctly. now you're awake because you have to pee. <laughs> you're absolutely right. These drugs individually have side effects, and then collectively they do too. But these studies were done on quite a few people, and they tolerated this medicine very well. And I think if you have sleep apnea, you should talk to your doctor about trying this drug. It's called riboxetine. Riboxetine. But quickly, before we go to the next question, because of the CPAP, we've talked about it so many times with so many callers when we did the show. There are alternatives to the CPAP. People tried surgery, mouthpieces. They've tried all kinds of stuff. So the surgeries are thought to help by raising the soft palate in the back of the throat. And they put these devices in. And so they open up the airway when you lay back. When you lay back, your tongue falls back. And in many people, that obstructs the airway. 
And so the surgeries go at the top of this problem with the soft palate. There's a BiPAP machine, which is a lot more physiologic. So a CPAP, C stands for continuous. So there's this continuous flow of air into your lung, but we don't breathe like that. We breathe in and then we breathe out. So when we're breathing or trying to breathe out, the continuous pressure is coming in. So it's uncomfortable. The BiPAP adjusts that inhale, exhale component ah. to the machine. Is and it as effective, as effective as a CPAP? It's actually much easier than the CPAP. And Peter, I don't know if you remember from years past that we discussed on one of our shows, the use of marijuana, the use of CBD, that there were some Israeli studies that said if you took CBD, you would relax these muscles and open your airway. So that really never bore out. Um, Actually, you know, it's interesting that you guys are bringing this up because it's like, we've kind of been trained to be mouth breathers over the years and it's actually damaged what, what you're talking about with the soft palate and the placement of stuff. And so I've been working on myself just trying to breathe through my nose and catching myself going, <laughs> you know what I mean? And doing that stuff. Wow. I'm lucky I don't suffer from sleep apnea, but who knows? It can happen at any time, right, Doc? Like you can just like notice well, it kind of comes on, right? Absolutely. Here's who's predisposed to sleep apnea. People that are overweight, people that have thick necks, men are more susceptible than women, family history, alcohol, sedative drugs, and there are a lot of medical conditions that predispose to this. And sleep apnea itself aggravates these chronic illnesses because you're not getting enough sleep, you're tired the so next it's day, a vicious circle, yeah. your cortisol levels go up. Yeah, so I was going to say it affects your blood sugar it, too if you're it, dealing it with that It needs to be right? treated. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a sleeper and I've tried everything. And the only thing that works for me is pot. Because I've tried Ambien, I tried everything. I, I took two Ambien on a plane to Europe, and I was so scared I was going to be the one guy waking up naked, <laughs> tied, tied with the, the whole crew sitting in my head. I don't know what I did. Um, that I took them anyway and didn't do anything. I'm the only one on a plane of like 800 people watching a, watching nine movies. I just can't. It, I was always that as a kid thinking I was going to miss something. But even I'm with adult, you on that. Ambien, I'm not a, I'm not a great really? sleeper either. Wow. And, David, um, you a good sleeper? I'm a great sleeper. You know, there's, I am a, I'm very lucky. I attribute this to going to medical school and not sleeping for eight years. So I think I'm just catching up. Here's our next thing. There have been new studies that have come out that calcium supplementation in people under the age of 35 improves bone mass. Some new studies came out. And when it says people, I'm assuming we're more concerned about female people. However, maybe men need to take calcium too. I don't hey, know. Hey, I can get osteoporosis as good as you. Maybe, can you maybe, really? Potentially. I don't know. Let's ask David. Men get osteoporosis because of low testosterone and that weakens their bone structure. But back to this article that you're speaking about, yeah. there have been a few studies now that show that our bone density, our bone mass increases until about age 35. After right. age 35, we're not really forming new bone. It's not getting stronger. So these calcium supplements that we give people that are postmenopausal and have no estrogen, and now we need to supplement, we're giving calcium and vitamin D, thinking that this is going to help. So this study actually disproves the calcium part of this equation. And about six months ago, there was a flurry of articles that came out that said vitamin D has nothing to do with osteoporosis has no value. So interesting. We've lost two bullets in the gun for this, but <laughs> So basically you're saying postmenopausal women are screwed unless they do what? Like weightlifting? They can do weightlifting, right? 
weightlifting is exactly right. And you have to do resistance exercise. So walk stairs, go for a long walk, jog. One of the things that relates to you with celiac is that with celiac, you don't absorb calcium. So um, when I was 28 and diagnosed with celiac, I was also diagnosed with osteopenia, a word I had not heard of before that moment. That's the forerunner to osteoporosis. Yes, it is. So the question is, what can you do? There are foods that you can eat that are high in calcium. Please um, say pizza. I, I don't pizza. eat any. Well, oh, dairy no, okay. and almonds are, I think, the only ones on that list that I can eat, but it's green leafy vegetables. Yes. Kale, good. broccoli, sardines, salmon, you know, oily fish, tofu. So Gross. I'm so hoping I don't get osteoporosis. Moving on here, Dr. Kipper is going to tell us about an artificial pancreas that does stuff that I guess the previous version of the artificial pancreas didn't do. And I go, oh, well, that's good to know, except that who the heck knew there was an artificial pancreas? Did you know this, Anna? That, that no, you, is this like me? the beta cells thing, or is this like an actual organ they've cloned? This is a portable machine. It's fully automated. It works basically with artificial intelligence. It's a self-learning, algorithmic-driven paradigm that actually watches what you eat, monitors how much sugar's coming in, how much carbohydrates coming in, wow. automatically adjusts the amount oh. of insulin. And this machine is only applicable for people that have had their pancreas removed. Ah. And when you've had your pancreas removed, there are two hormones. You said it. There are alpha cells. They make product called glucagon. Glucagon is a sugar-regulating hormone. Glucagon communicates with the liver, tells the liver to release glycogen. I was going to say glycogen. Oh, you would have had it right. So this machine gives us both glucagon and insulin. And That's amazing. Peter, to your point, we had several other monitoring devices for sugar, but none of these were as sophisticated as this because with all those machines, you'd have to enter things like how much carbohydrate you were having for that meal. So you had to be on top of this with every meal. At what point does somebody have their pancreas taken out? What, what would be the cause of pancreas to stop functioning or be removed that had nothing to do with a cancerous pancreas? That's an excellent question. So if you're a young person and you have type 1 diabetes, that's where you make no insulin. Type 2, you make some insulin. You just don't make enough. So a young person that has type 1 diabetes, they're a good candidate because after 10 years of being diagnosed, the secondary organs, the eye, the heart, oh, the blood to... vessels, the kidney, they all start failing. So if you can control this illness early on, and then you have adults, adolescents that are very hard to control for whatever reason, and a lot of type 1 diabetics are very hard to control. So this is actually a nice alternative. It sounds like it's an insulin pump that's way, 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 way better. Because my friend is a type 1 and she has the, the little insulin pump thing, but this sounds even better. And, and I know what she struggled with being diagnosed with type 1. Like even when you think you have your blood sugar under control, it'll spike a little drop or it's just crazy what she goes through. So this thing sounds amazing. This is a, a lot more intelligent yeah, than it sounds these like other it. machines. Way better. You do have to carry around a little box. Like a little purse, like a little clutch. This must be great for kids, too. I know parents who have young kids who have diabetes, and they always have to measure and do it's a lot of responsibility. This, this would be a blessing. They've done head-to-head -head studies with this, and it outperforms everything we've had prior to this. It's time for Hey, What About Me?, which is really about you. Hello, caller. 
Hey, Dr. Kipper. I'm calling in because I'm 33 years old and I am thinning on my way to being bald if I don't intervene. And I'd heard that there was a new treatment, but then I heard it's minoxidil. So I'm just curious if it's minoxidil, what's different about it and how is it more effective if minoxidil has been around forever? It is different. And what's different, minoxidil is a blood pressure medicine that's been around forever. And what we found when we were using this for blood pressure, and it was one of the first, so a lot of people were getting minoxidil, they started growing hair. And so obviously someone thought, well, here's, here's a good business. So they put minoxidil into a pill at first. It didn't work. People's blood pressure plummeted and they couldn't tolerate it. They got dizzy. And so then they put it into a topical and the topical basically stimulates the inactive phase of hair growth. There's, there's three phases to hair growth and the active phase, things are growing. The dormant phase, nothing's happening, but there's an intermediate phase where your hair follicles are are active and okay. They're just not very robust. And that's what minoxidil does. So in Australia, there was a doctor that had been committed to this for over 20 years to restoring hair. And he thought something actually genius. He lowered the dose of the minoxidil by 75%. So instead of a one milligram blood pressure pill, you now have a 0.25 milligram, let's get some hair pill. And it's been working. He's had he claims over 20,000 patients that he's treating with this. Wow. And he says he has great success. Um, so again, it's one of the things, Anna, Peter, that comes into the office all the time. People are always a little bit ashamed to bring it up. But men and women have this. So women, actually our male pattern is that those temples go bare and our crown goes bare. Women just get a generalized thinning. But this pill works for both men and women. The interesting thing about women that he found in his study was that women were growing hair in places they didn't want hair. So they added a, a diuretic called spiranolactone, which helped get rid of the hair, the extra hair. So for women, it's a little more complicated. But it's uh, as it's, always, it's, it's something that you have to have compounded. So you can't just get a, a simple prescription, but it's very easy to make. It's not expensive. It's once a day. It takes wow. about three or four months. And Peter, you're exactly right. If you stop it, you're going to lose the value. It's so, it's so funny when you said there are three stages, I thought there were eight, like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, there's <laughs> denial, there's anger. Mm -hmm. And then finally acceptance is the stages of death. The other thing I thought of too is when you said, it's so interesting, and just in tonight's show, this pill was used for this, but was found to be that. And the other pill for sleep apnea was bladder or whatever. I wonder if a guy's found a pill ever. It worked for two things and then was bad for three, but then they found that it can work on five. Like this was for bladder thing. It was for this, but also gross hair. We have Robust. another that did that, the prostate drug, finasteride. A finasteride blocks the conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. The testosterone allows for the hair. The dihydrotestosterone gets rid of the hair. So it, it blocks that. And that's what we saw when we started using, it's also called Propecia. That's what we started using for people that 
had prostate issues and they started growing hair. So who knows wow. what's next? Anything around that area is hair, is, does hair. Okay. Why does it work for some people and not for other people? Well, it doesn't work for women because your prostates aren't oh. there. No, I was talking about for men because I always, I hear, listen, I'm in the theater community. You hear a lot of dudes talking about losing their hair and being sad about it. So I get it. But they're like, I tried Probesia, it didn't work. Or some other guy says, try this or try the, you know. It it depends, Anna, when you start using these products. If you've already mm. developed your male pattern balding, none of these things are going to work. Those follicles are not coming back. You're gone. Got it. These yeah. things only work where you have active follicles. Got it. This is like, what's it called? What's the drug you take for COVID? Paxlovid. Paxlovid. You got to take it early. I love every time I think I'm getting it, David, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> Don't think everybody has carried with you. I'm always, it's too late. It's too late. But that's a very important point. This is something that's really aggravating for our primary care colleagues. The CDC tells us that we can't take Paxlovid until we have a positive test. Oh. By the time you get a positive test, it's too late. You've had virus in there for two to three days. Paxlovid starts the ending of your replication of the virus, but now you have two or three days of virus that's in there and having a party. So too late. It's always too late for me. Too late. So, but so you're talking about most people are doing the home test, right? If you do a PCR, it should detect it, right? Early no, enough, but most not, people aren't doing a PCR, right? Or is that right. not even detected? Most people it? are doing the antigen test. And again, it takes a much higher threshold of virus to show positive. The PCR, is it's a more specific sensitive test, but it can also miss things in the first couple of days. Well, I want to thank everybody who's listening today. Of course, thank you, Dr. Kipper. And thank you, Anna. Dr. Kipper's book is out now. It's called Override, and it's all about brain chemistry and genetics and how it plays a role in your entire life and all the decisions you make in relationships. It's stunning. And of course, Anna's Eat Happy and Eat Happy too. Grain-free, low-carb, joyful eating. Gluten-free, grain-free, low-carb recipes. Joyful, joyful and have a joyful life. And if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, follow us at bedsidematters.org. And we'll see you next time with some breaking medical news and more. If you have a question for Dr. Kipper, you can go to our website, bedsidematters.org, and leave a voicemail or submit a question. The information on Bedside Matters and the resources available for download are not intended as and should not be understood or construed as medical or health advice. The information on Bedside Matters is not a substitute for medical or health advice from a professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends. We'll see you next time.